God is able. I pray that your faith is encouraged today. If you will, pray with me and for me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these precious people that have assembled together in your house today. Lord, we pray that you would remove every hindrance that would distract us for the next few moments and prohibit us from hearing your word and receiving your word. I pray, Lord, that you would anoint these lips of clay, that I would speak not with the enticing words of men's wisdom, but that it would be your word that would come forth today, and it would come forth in the power and the demonstration of your spirit. Lord, I pray you would anoint every ear to hear and every heart to receive what you want to speak to us today, and we'll give you the glory, the honor, and the praise in advance for what you're going to do in and through your word today. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray, and everybody said... Amen. You may be seated this morning. The Lord um, has spoken to me kind of uniquely through this passage of Scripture, and I just want to share what He laid on my heart uh, with you today. And in our text this morning, there's a word that we don't use very often. We don't see it used very much. It's the word dismayed. And its most literal translation means to be made Unable. That's what the word dismayed means, to be made unable. So Joshua was saying to his men, don't allow this to make you unable. Don't fall apart in your circumstances. Don't freak out. Don't jump to conclusions. Even though you're facing an, what seems to be an impossibility, a great opposition, do not be afraid. Your God that you serve is able. But first, you have to get victory over these five kings. Now, the Lord spoke to me, as I said, very uniquely. When I read this passage of Scripture, I began to think about the five kings and how they can represent five things. And we all know that God is able, but you have to remind yourself, sometimes you've got to kill uh, some, some things before you can really fight the battle of faith. Anybody with me this morning? If you're going to see your family blessed, if you're going to see your home blessed, if you're going to see your church blessed, if you're going to see God's favor, then you have to overcome five things that will always oppose your faith. So when we talk about faith this morning, what does the Word of God tell us that faith is? Hebrews 11 and verse 1 tells us, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Let's read that again and think about it. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. We just finished a uh, several-week series class in my class on Wednesday nights that we did by Dr. Tony Evans about kingdom heroes. And it was all based on Hebrews chapter 11 and what I call the hall of faith. Those that are mentioned, we studied each one of those individually in the hall of faith. Dr. Tony Evans re-summarizes this verse by saying this, that faith is believing that it is so, even when it isn't so, in order that it might be so, simply because God said so. Anybody with me this morning? Faith is believing that it is so, even when it isn't so. In order that it might be so, simply because God said so. Can I tell you this morning that the most powerful contributors of unbelief, the greatest oppositions of our faith that you and I will ever have to overcome is our five senses. What you can smell, what you can feel, what you can see, what you can hear, and what you can taste. And if you allow them to, your five senses can talk you right out of what God's Word has promised you. You have to learn to put your foot on the necks of your five senses if you're going to operate in faith. Somebody help me preach this morning. you got to learn to conquer those five senses and say, you are not going to steal from me what I know God's Word has promised me. So I want to talk about those individually this morning. Let's start first of all with what you smell. Now, in Daniel chapter 3, 
very popular story. Most, most everybody knows it. If you've ever been to Sunday school, you probably heard it at some point or another. Daniel chapter 3, we read about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three Hebrew children were thrown into the fiery furnace. And when God brought them out, not a hair on their heads was burned. Scripture makes an interesting distinction. It says, there was no, say no. There was no smell of fire on them. None. In other words, they went through a fiery situation where by everything that they know in the natural, they should have been burned. But they came through, not only were they not burned, but they came through without even the smell of smoke on them. How did they do that, Pastor? By faith. Faith is believing that it is so, even when it isn't so. In order that it might be so, simply because God said so. And they had to not pay attention to what was naturally going on around them so that they could stand on God's word in faith. Can I tell you this morning that God does not want you to go through fiery trials and smell like smoke for the rest of your life? Sometimes as a pastor, I come across people who have been through a fiery trial. All of us have been through, most of us at one point, for a fiery trial. If you're sitting here this morning and you say, I've never been through a fiery trial, woe is you. It's coming. Most all of us have been through a fiery trial. But some people have been through a fiery trial, and every time you're around them, that's all they can talk about. Anybody ever been around anybody like that? And, you know, I understand. Maybe, maybe you were burned in a relationship. Maybe you were burned in a business deal. Maybe you were burned in a job position. Maybe you were even burned in church. Mm -hmm. Because something or somebody hurt you. But some people go around judging everybody the same way based on their prior experience. Can I tell you this morning that if you're going to win your fight of faith, first, you got to get victory over what you smell. See, I personally don't want to smell like everything I've been through. I want to talk to anybody and everybody who's even serving in any capacity. I'm not talking just to preachers or teachers if you serve in any capacity, how many knows all of us, if you're saved and born again, we all have a ministry, right? But I want to tell you, ministry will take you through a lot of stuff. People in ministry can take home the smell of their work. Because sometimes in ministry, you deal with problems and issues and sometimes messy things. But I've always tried, at least tried, uh, for the last 10 years especially that I've pastored to not take the smell home to my kids. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Parents, your kids don't need to know everything. Some things you need to keep to yourself. And I always tried not to take that smell home to them. But have you ever considered, have you ever thought about what the prophets in the Old Testament must have smelled like? They really must have stunk. Because they had to take those sacrifices. What's the first thing they had to do? Kill them. And drain the blood. They had the splatters on them from the killing and the slaughtering. Anybody ever smelled something dead? Anybody ever smelled something dead and thought it smelled good? No. Then they took that sacrifice. What's the next thing they did? Burn it. Anybody ever smelled flesh burning? It don't smell good. Can you imagine what they must have smelled like? Also, when I think about pastors, the Bible says that we're supposed to be shepherds. You know what that makes us smell like if we're true shepherds? Sheep. 
Anybody ever smelled a sheep? They don't smell good. But can I tell you this morning, there's a remedy for that. In the Old Testament, God told the priest to burn incense. You ever thought about that? Why burn incense? God said to kill the smell of ministry. To kill the smell of your situation. To kill the smell of your circumstance. Burn incense. Can I tell you, that is why your, your individual worship, your worship is so important. Because it's an incense to the Lord. When you come in and you worship the Lord, it's a type of burning incense. And when you begin to worship, and you begin to focus on who he is, not what you're going through. When you begin to exalt him, worship him, and lift him up, it creates an aroma that takes over the smell and gives you victory over the smell of reality in your life. Somebody ought to give the Lord some praise and some worship this morning. In John chapter 11, Lazarus had been dead for four days. When Jesus told them to take the stone away from the door, or from the front of his grave, take the stone away. And if you know the story, you know what Martha said. Martha said, Lord, by now he stinketh. And that was a statement of unbelief. Jesus had already told them, before he told them to roll the stone away from the door, Jesus had already told them you're getting ready to see God's glory. Before he rolled the stone away from the door. But Martha couldn't get past what she knew by her five senses. Can I tell you in your life, if you will hold on to what God has promised you, if God has said he will do it, he will do it. I know what you might be looking at may look bad. I know how you may be feeling may not be so good. I know how the smell of what you're going through might stink just a little bit. But I promise you, if you'll not focus on your five senses and you'll focus on what God has promised, you too will see the glory of God in your life. Jesus was suggesting to them. He'd already told them they were going to see the glory. He said, even if it does stink, still believe. See, maybe this morning your situation stinks, but you can still believe. Maybe your finances stink right now, but you can still believe and stay out of Walmart. Say amen, somebody. Maybe your children are going through a season in which it might seem like they just can't get their act together. And you feel like giving up. But in spite of what you smell. In spite of what you feel. In spite of what you see. In spite of what you hear. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And in spite of what you taste. You have to realize the God you serve is able. And if you're going to conquer and fight the fight of faith. You're going to have to get your foot on the sense of smell. I read this funny story that I shared this morning, I'm going to share it again, of some children who played a trick on their grandfather. He had one of those, I don't know why anybody would want one, but it, I mean, if you got one, I'm sorry. But he had one of those long handlebar mustaches. I mean, knows what I'm talking about. And he was taking a nap, and the children snuck in, and they rubbed some Limburger cheese on his mustache. If you've ever smelled that, shoot. And when he woke up, he said, wow, this bedroom stinks. And he got up and he went to the kitchen. He said, shoo, this kitchen stinks too. Then he said, I need some fresh air. And he stepped outside in his backyard and he went, then he went, oh my goodness, the whole world stinks. Why'd you tell us that, Pastor? I know it's funny. But the reality is, if you're not careful... If you get hurt by enough people or the right people, 
If you get let down one too many times, you might start going around with an old stinky attitude that the whole world stinks. But I want to tell you this morning, even though you may be going through the fire, you don't have to smell like it. It's up to you. You can step aside and say, God... This stinks right now, so I'm going to burn some incense. I'm going to get in my prayer closet, and I'm going to worship. Because, God, it may not look good. It may not sound good. It may not feel good. But you're still God. You're still on the throne. You're still in control. You're still worthy. And I'm going to worship you. You don't have to smell like what you're going through. Let's talk about what you feel. The second king that we need to get our foot on the neck of is the sense of what we feel. Listen, if you don't master your feelings, you'll start to trust your feelings more than you trust your faith. Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9 tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things. Your feelings are a true enemy of your faith. Your feelings are a true enemy of your faith. i got to talk about this one for just a minute because we're bad in Pentecost to go off of our feelings. That's why I have a hard time sometimes with people that just all of a sudden, you know, there's terms that we use that are not really even biblical, but, you know, in the Pentecostal church, we used to, how many knows what getting in is? Yeah, we used to talk about getting in. When I come, listen, you come from a Baptist church, you think, what? What are you getting? Where are you going? What are you doing? We used to call it getting in. I have a hard time sometimes. I'm just going to be honest with you. Is that all right? Maybe it's not all right. I have a hard time sometimes with traditional Pentecostals that every once in a while they come in, they've had themselves a big heyday. They shout, they dance, and they hoop, and they holler, and they praise. But look at them next Sunday. Depends on how they feel. Oh, no, wait a minute, Pastor. I got to feel it before I do it. Really? Really? Show me that in the Word. Show me that in the Word. You don't have to feel it before you do it. If only time you do it is when you feel it. In fact, what you're feeling is not the Holy Ghost. It's your own emotionalism. Oh, that'll preach, but it just won't get no amens. If that's the only time that you praise him, you want to you know what kind of sacrifice of praise that God honors? It's when you're going through a situation that stinks. It's when you don't feel good. It's when your situation looks bad. It's when you've heard the bad report, but you still come into the house of God and worship and praise because he's worthy. Not because of how you feel. Let me tell you about feelings. Isaac had gone blind in his old age and he was on his deathbed when his son Jacob came to him covered with goat hair. It was his intent to deceive him. Because Jacob's brother Esau was a hairy man. And Jacob, had to, Jacob was trying to deceive his daddy so he could steal his brother's birthright. And his blind father asked, he said, who is this? And Jacob said, it's me, Dad. It's your oldest son, Esau. I've come for my blessing from you. Scripture tells us that old man Isaac reached up and he started feeling his arm, trying to determine where he was his, whether he was his oldest hairy boy. He started feeling his arm. And Isaac said, listen to me. He said, you sound... Like Jacob, but you feel like Esau. And Isaac decided to go with his feelings. And because he went with his feelings, rather than going with what he heard, as a result, he gave his blessing to the wrong son. Can I tell you this morning, if we go by our feelings, somebody help me preach today. If we go by our feelings, rather than what we hear when we read ourselves the Word of God, we'll miss the truth every single time. you got to get 
past your feelings. Oh, I'm going to preach right now. This is why so many people are living deceived and going to hell because somebody just wanted to tickle their feelings and say, if you feel like it's okay, maybe it's okay for you, but they're not hearing the truth of the Word of God. You better not live your life by your feelings. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things. And if you wrestle against things that are contrary to the Word of God, your heart will deceive you and tell you what you're feeling is okay. But you better hear the Word of God and you better go by what you hear, not by what you feel. Woo! we got to get past our feelings. Your feelings are fickle. Sometimes in church, you get your feelings hurt. Sometimes in ministry, you get your feelings hurt. Now, Dwight, you and Dart will be quiet this time. This morning at 845, I said, sometimes in marriage, you definitely get your feelings hurt. And I don't know what happened at their house this weekend. But both of them was helping me preach, I'm telling you. How many knows, though, sometimes in marriage, you get your feelings hurt? Mm-hmm. Sometimes in friendships, and I'm just teasing them. They always help me preach. Gosh, I miss them when they're not here. Because some of y'all are dry as cracker juice. (laughs) We have to learn, though, to overcome our feelings. We have to put our foot on the neck of our feelings and say, I'm not going to let my feelings stop me. And this even happens in church. You know, this hadn't happened around here in years. But it did happen years ago. So I put it in my notes, and then I started to take it out. And then I was like, no, I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to talk about it. Because who knows when it might happen again. So I'll just go ahead and preach it today before it happens. And as Barney Fife would say, nip it in the bud. Hallelujah. Listen, just because you don't get the solo on the new song doesn't mean you need to quit the praise team. Just because somebody on the leadership team gave this job to that person instead of you doesn't mean you need to stop serving. Because first of all, if you're serving the leadership team, you're serving the wrong people. But when you're focused on serving the kingdom and you're serving Jesus, it doesn't really matter what the leadership team does. You're out for an audience of one. Somebody help me preach this morning. we got to get victory over our feelings. Last thing about feelings I'm going to talk about is the story of Noah's Ark. When you think about Noah's Ark, there was... Thousands, multiplied thousands of animals that were thrown in together. Natural predators of one another. Have you ever thought about that? Natural predators of one another thrown into the ship together, but yet you don't read of one single fight breaking out in this book on that ark. You don't read of one single fight. That's just amazing to me. But also think about what the Lord might have said to Noah when he got on the boat. And I believe that probably one of the last commands that he gave him was, Noah, be sure you keep the woodpeckers above the water line. You ever thought about that? There was woodpeckers on that boat. Be sure you keep the woodpeckers above the water line. What on earth are you talking about, Pastor? Every church, every business, every ministry has woodpeckers. Can I get a witness this morning? Those are the people that are troublemakers, and they like to get below the waterline and just start pecking away because if they didn't get their way, they're determined to sink the whole ship. Can I get a witness this morning? But I want to tell you something this morning. You can't allow our feelings to stop us from what God has called us to do. We've got to step on the neck of king feeling and keep on going. And if you don't, if you don't get, if you don't overcome, if you don't conquer your feelings, You'll walk in a life of defeat, your entire walk with the Lord. Let's talk about what we see. The Old Testament tells us in 2 Kings chapter 6, a really interesting story about Elisha the prophet and his servant. The king of Aram was at war with Israel, and he had it out for Elisha because God kept telling Elisha the king's plans in advance. Before they would happen, he would tell him what was going to happen next. So at one point, Elisha and his servant were in a city surrounded by enemy soldiers, and Elisha sent his servant out to assess the situation. When he realized that they were surrounded, Elisha's servant returned. He was almost in a panic. And he said, oh, my Lord, what are we going to do? Anybody ever heard anybody do that? 
Oh my goodness, what are we going to do? And Elisha told him, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. And then he prayed over him. And when he prayed over him, he said, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And when his servant went back out, he didn't just see it ground level anymore. He began to look up. And when he looked up, he saw the armies of God. The word said, the hills were full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Listen, our problem this morning is the same as Elisha's servant. Many times when we get in the middle of a battle, the only thing we can see is ground level. The only thing we look at is ground level. But as believers, this word instructs us to do something. And that's something that it instructs us to do is to lift up your eyes unto the hills. From whence cometh your help. Somebody needs to tell the devil, my help comes from the Lord. The maker of heaven and earth. That's where my help comes from. When you get a bad report, you get a bad test result. When something happens in your family that pits you against an impossibility. When you're facing a difficulty that seems way too big for you to overcome. If you're not careful, if you're not careful, you can let what you see talk you right out of what God has promised you in his word. Ultimately, God has promised you victory in your life. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21. I love this. So appropriate to me today. And I'll share at the end of the service, but because of a friend. Philippians 1 and 21 Paul had it right. He said, for me, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. I don't care what the report says. I don't care what the situation looks like. In the old church, there's another song that we used to sing. said, if I go or if I stay, I'm a winner Either way. See, I've done read the back of the book. Don't you live in fear of any diagnosis. Somebody hear me this morning. Don't you live in fear of sickness and disease. You live in a uh, being ready, uh, being uh, anticipation. You live in an anticipation of what God has for you. It doesn't matter. Even in death, Paul said, for me to live is Christ. Oh, but for me to die is gain. I'm telling you, church. Heaven is real. You better be ready. It's waiting on us this morning. It's waiting on us this morning. We never know. The psalmist said that every day of our lives were numbered before the first one of them ever came to be. Heaven is real. And to live is Christ. And to die is gain. I don't know what you may be seeing this morning. You may be seeing only your enemy. If that's the case, you should pray. If you'll look through the eyes of faith, you won't just see the enemy. You can also see angels. Anybody believe in angels? Every time Shelbo gets on that interstate heading back to the Ville, as he calls it, that little two and a half hour trip... When he pulls out of the driveway, I pray every time, God, dispatch angels. Let them camp round about him and protect him till he gets there. Listen, I believe in angels. And instead of seeing the enemy, you ought to see the angels. You don't have to see only the problems. You need to see the promises. But the thing is, you got to choose. you got to choose what you're going to focus on. Are you going to focus on the problem or are you going to focus on the promise? Are you going to focus on the doctor's report? Or are you going to focus on the promise of the word that says, by his stripes you are healed? Are you going to focus on the low bank account and the lack of a job? Or are you going to focus on what David said in Psalms? I'm, oh, I've been young, but I'm old now. And I've never, never, never seen the righteous forsaken or God's seed begging for bread. Never, never. What are you looking at? What are you focusing on? What are you seeing? God's word is greater than the bad report. And another thing, Darla touched on it last Sunday. Many times we look, particularly on social media, 
and we look at somebody else's life. We see somebody else's car. Some, see, I had to look and see Janelle's new Mercedes. She said, you don't have to tell everything you know. We look and we see somebody else's house. And sad to say, some people look and they see somebody else's spouse. Mm -hmm. Somebody else's family. Can I tell you something this morning? Comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. It's easy to look at somebody else and what they have. But we sh what we should be doing instead is focusing on the blessings that God has already given us. I want to promise you, when you feel like somebody else has got it better than you, if you'll just find you a place in a prayer closet somewhere and get down and just begin to say, God, I thank you for my health. I thank you for my children. I thank you for my family. I thank you that I've got a roof over my head, clothes on my back, shoes on my feet. I thank you. You begin counting your blessings, you'll be there hours later feeling like you're never going to exhaust that list. I don't know about you, but the Apostle Paul said, I've learned in whatever state I am, therewith to be content. God is good and God is faithful and we should thank God for what he's done for us. Don't focus on somebody else. Focus on what God's done for you. Jensen Franklin was preaching. He's one of my favorites. He was telling the story of when God gave their ministry, Free Chapel, which is based in Georgia, the vision to start holding services in Orange County, California. He said, when I flew out there for our very first service, he said about 100 people showed up, but we were expecting 1,000. He said, I was pretty discouraged. I had to start fighting what I could see. And he said, we didn't feel that God was sending us to Orange County for a small thing or a little thing. We really believe that God was sending us out there to reach a mighty harvest for the kingdom. But he said, I had to constantly fight against what I could see and what I could feel. There were Sundays when I would preach two times in Georgia, then hop on a plane, fly to California, even when I didn't feel like going. But we knew that God had told us to go, so we kept going. And sometimes I'd be thinking, is anybody even going to show up? Week in and week out, the crowds were small. He said, but you can't go by what you see. You have to do what God tells you to do. And he said, after a year, almost 2,000 people were coming regularly. He ended that by saying, God is faithful. That reminded me when we planted this church. I was scared to death. And somebody looked me in the eye and said, I give you six months. In six months, you'll, you'll realize you don't want to do this. You'll be tired of trying. I give it six months till you're done. Yeah. George said that's encouraging. Yeah. You know what I had to do? Angie and I had no idea. That was before we had the first service. We had no idea how many people was going to show up. We had no idea what God was going to do. But can I tell you, you can't go by what you hear. You can't go by what you see. You can't. There wasn't this many people there the first meeting we had. You can't go by what you feel or what somebody else thinks about it. you got to go by what God says. And over 10 years later, I've seen God save almost 200 souls from the flames of hell. God is faithful. God is able. What you hear. Listen, I'm almost finished. But be careful. Be very careful what you listen to. Mark chapter 4 and verse 24. Then he added, pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given. And you will receive even more. Be careful what you allow to cross that bridge of your ear into your spirit. Because it can contaminate your faith. In the Old Testament, there's a story about Elijah where everybody was saying recession. Everybody was saying poverty. Everybody was saying famine. Everybody was saying how bad things were. You're going to lose everything. You're not going to make it. It's kind of similar to what we hear today, right in the middle of it all, what the news report said. You know, ABC, CNN, and woe is me TV. Come on, somebody. The prophet Elijah said, though, in the midst of all of those things that he heard, 
in the midst of all the negativity, he said, wait a minute. I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. Somebody said, what? What do you hear? I don't hear nothing. That's the way it is today. Sometimes people look at you and say, I don't know what you're hearing. I don't hear nothing. But wait a minute. I I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. See, in the old church, we used to sing a song that talked about turning your radio on. Anybody remember that? Turn your radio on and listen to the music in the air. You young people would lose your minds. Turn your radio on and glory share. Anybody remember that? Turn your lights down low. I don't know why we turn the lights down low. And listen to the masters. Radio. The bass would sing, in touch with God. Turn your radio on. You know what that song was about? Getting on the frequency of God. Because there's all kinds of noise. All kinds of voices going on around you. But I'm here to tell you this morning, you can tune in to a heavenly frequency. And that's what Elijah did. He said, wait a minute. I hear what you're saying, boys, but I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. And instead of, uh, instead of believing and listening to what everybody else was saying around them, listen, it's got to be the same way with us. That can't be us. we got to put our foot on the neck of what we're hearing, on the neck of the negativity and what everybody else is saying. And we got to hear something different than everybody else. Tune into a different frequency. And he said, I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. As your pastor this morning, I came to tell you, I hear the sound of revival. I hear the sound of refreshing. I hear the sound of deliverance. I hear the sound of chains falling. I hear it. I don't know if you hear it or not, but you can turn into that frequency and you can hear it. 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, and he said, You shall not go up. Circle around behind them and come upon them in front of the mulberry trees. And it shall be when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the mulberry trees. Then you shall advance quickly. For then the Lord will go before you and strike the camp of the Philistines. David listened. And he was victorious. I don't know what you're hearing this morning. But tune in to the other frequency. I don't know what the enemy, what noise. There's noise in this world that we live in. But tune your ear into the frequency. Hear the sound of victory. Hear the sound of blessing. Hear the sound of healing. Hear the sound of favor. Hear the sound of your children rising up to serve Jesus. People can say many other things to you. That's the reality of the world that we live in. But don't listen to it. Don't listen to the negativity. Too many negative Nancys. Even in the house of God. So I'm just going to... I said this at 845 and it didn't go over very well. So I'm going to try it out on you all. Don't be coming to me with anything negative. If you don't like something that's going on or something we're doing, don't come to me with anything negative unless it lines up with Scripture. Unless it lines up with the Word of God. If it's not a scriptural issue, it's nothing but a personal preference. I bent down there and realized there ain't nothing there to hide me. But if that's all it is, don't get caught up in the negativity. Let's be word-driven, word-focused. Let's focus on what really matters. Listen, we are never going to please everybody. They learned that years ago when the Redback Hymnal was written. Why am I on the old songs today? Those of y'all that like old songs, you're getting your feel this morning. We used to sing another one in the church. And they wrote it and it said, Everybody will be happy, will be happy 
over there. You know why they wrote it that way? Because over there is the only place everybody will ever be happy. Say amen, somebody. When we get victory over our hearing, when we tune into the Lord's report, whose report will you believe? We shall believe the report of the Lord. Listen, somebody says, you don't know what kind of bad news I got. It doesn't matter. God is able. They'll come to the music this morning. Lastly, what you taste. There's a story in the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 4. I'm not going to read the scripture, but just tell you a little bit about it. It's about a pot of stew during a famine. Anybody like beef stew? I didn't even think about it this way at 845, but at 1229, it sounds really good. A pot of beef stew they were making during the famine. As the men in the story began to eat the stew, they discovered that it had accidentally been poisoned. Now hear this because it's good. Elisha told them to put flour or meal in the pot and it would suck out the poison. It would absorb the poison and it saved them. You know what I believe that meal represents? The bread of life, which is the word of God. Can I tell you this morning that whatever is poison in your life, put some word in it. Is a situation or a relationship in your life poisoned? Put some meal in the stew. Sprinkle it with the word of God. Are you making poor choices in your life? Start praying back to God the things that God has already promised you in his word. Does anybody do that besides me? I do that. I remind God, not that he needs reminded, but I just quote, God, you said, and I stand on it. That's how you stand on the word. Listen, this past Wednesday night, if you didn't get to be here, my goodness, we had 200 people here on Wednesday night for a night of prayer, and it was tremendous. If you were here, was it not tremendous? It was tremendous. I don't know if you can, was that live stream? Can you go back and watch it? It was not live stream. So you can't go back and watch it. If you missed it, you missed it. Don't miss when we announce another one. Don't miss it. But we had eight, seven or eight intercessors that assisted me and exhorted us and led us in intercessory prayer on some specific target areas. And they quoted the word. And they prayed the word. Listen. You don't know what you're missing when you don't pray the word. Pray the word over your children. Pray the word over your family. Pray the word over that situation. I know what the doctor said, but this book said, by your stripes that you bore on a cross of Calvary, I am healed. That's what your word says. Pray the word. See, faith places no limitations on God, and God places no limitations on faith. You can take the bread of life, the word, and put it into your poison. It'll suck out the poison that's trying to kill you. The word of God will suck out the poison that's trying to kill you. As Jesus was hanging on the cross, you know, some of the people there attempted to give him a sponge. It was dipped in vinegar and gall. Vinegar and gall has an extreme bitter taste. And I believe this symbolized that they, what they wanted was they wanted Jesus to become bitter because of what they were ultimately doing to him. The scripture says that Jesus refused to take a drink from that bitter sponge. At that moment, Jesus got victory over this fifth king of taste. He had made up his mind already. Although they hurt me, although they've wronged me, although they've inflicted excruciating pain upon me, I know I'm an innocent man. And when he said, Father, 
forgive them for they don't know what they do. You know what he was saying? I refuse to become bitter. When I was preparing this message, the Lord showed me there are some of you that are going through some things or have been through something. You need to refuse to become bitter. You may have been wronged. You may have been hurt. But to live victoriously in this life, you've got to put your foot on that situation and say, I refuse to be bitter. I remind you what the psalmist said in Psalm 34 and 8. When we talk about what do you taste? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Some of you maybe have never tasted him before. You need to taste and see. There's a room full of people here this morning that will testify with me to you. He tastes awfully good. He's awfully good. If you stand with me all over the room, I'm closing with this. I listen to a lot of preaching. Heard some great sermons on David and Goliath. And one sermon that I heard focused on why David picked up five stones. I love these things like I'm preaching to you today that go into similarities and numbers and why five stones, why five kings that we talked about today. But this particular sermon said David picked up five stones and this guy said that he proved biblically that Goliath had four brothers. He suggested that it was David's intention to wipe out Goliath's whole family. The five stones were David saying, I'm not just going to kill Goliath, but if his brothers want to come and pick a fight against me, bring them on. That makes sense to me. I don't know if he's right, but I don't know that he's wrong. Heard another man preach on the five stones and he said, the five stones represent the letters in the name, the letters in the name of him who would bring deliverance from the Goliath of sin. I thought, boy, that's good. The five stones, J-E-S-U-S. See, back in the old church, we used, anybody ever used to cheer at youth rallies? They'd say, give me a J. Give me an E. Give me an S. Give me a U. Give me an S. What you got? Louder. Louder. We used to do that at youth rallies. I got to thinking about this sermon. And I thought, man, that would preach good. You get a Hammond B3 organ, five stones, and J-E-S-U-S, you could throw down some Pentecostal church in that place. But do you know why I think that David picked up four more stones? I'm going to baffle some of you. I think he picked up four more stones than what he needed because it was afraid he might miss. He knew that if he didn't get him the first time, he had a second chance. And if he didn't get him the second time, he had a third chance. And if he didn't get him the fourth time, he had a fifth chance. Is anybody glad this morning we serve a God of chances? Why do you believe that, Pastor? I believe it because it doesn't take a lot of faith, a huge amount of faith. The Bible said if it just, just the faith of a grain of mustard seed, that's tiny. Just that much faith, we could move mountains. When I think about David picking up those five stones, I think the Lord is saying to us, always remember, I'll never send you into a battle against a great, gigantic problem where I'll only give you enough to defeat him. I'll always give you more than enough. One stone was all he needed, but I'll give you more than enough. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. What the words say? Now unto him. This faith I'm talking about this morning, it's not faith in you. It's not faith in me. It's not faith in what we can do. It's faith in him. Who is what? Able. That's what I'm preaching to you this morning. God is able. 
to do, watch this, exceedingly, abundantly, above all. That's a triple positive adjective. He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or think. I don't know about you, but I can think up some big things for God to do. But he's able to do it according to the power that's at work in us. I came to remind you this morning, I don't know what your situation may be. But with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to do this real quickly. If there's anybody in this room today and you say, Pastor, I'm not even ready to meet the Lord. Should I go out into eternity today? I hear the word you're preaching, but I'm not even ready to meet him. Should I go out into eternity today? If that's you, nobody's looking. Would you just slip your hand up and put it back down very quickly this morning all over the room? Yes, I see that hand. Anybody else? Yes, I see that hand. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? I want to say to those of you that lifted your hands, salvation will be the easiest decision you've ever made in your life. The only difference between you and the people next to you who didn't raise their hand, the only difference is one decision. You are one decision away from being like the rest of the people in this room and that's ready to meet the Lord should you go out into eternity. There's a room full of people in here this morning that will testify with me to you. If you'll make that decision today, Jesus Christ will be the best decision you'll ever make in your life. And it's so much simpler than we make it. All you have to do is come to Him. Admit you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Believe He was the Son of God that gave His life on the cross. Died, that He was buried and rose again on the third day for the forgiveness of your sins. And then confess Him as the Lord and the Savior of your life. And the Bible says you shall be saved. Don't leave here without Him. When we open this altar, don't leave here without Him. Somebody will meet you in this altar to pray with you today. So that you, can, you too can say you're ready should you go out and meet Him. But the rest of us, I want you to look at me today. I don't know what you're going through. But here's what I do know. If you'll forget about what you see, what you hear, how you feel, what it smells like, and what it tastes like, and if you'll just step out in faith and say, God, I believe you're able. God will move for you today.